Bienvenidos a todos, everyone. Welcome to Migrants on Air, an immigration podcast formerly known as We Are Home, Arizona. We are your hosts. My name is Carlos Yanez. Karina Dominguez. Danny Orona. We started this podcast back in 2021 as part of the We Are Home campaign in hopes for an immigration reform and a pathway to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States. A lot has changed since then, including a rebrand of our podcast. Although the fight towards citizenship continues in this podcast, we want to have conversations about creating an inclusive movement that focuses on protecting immigrants beyond citizenship. We are based in Arizona, so we will cover immigration stories and news from our state, but we will also expand our reach to share stories and news from around the country. If you want to hear from immigrant leaders in our community, stay up to date with news and calls to action. Be sure to follow us on whatever platform you listen to your podcast and spread the word to your friends and family. These conversations cannot happen without you. We'll see you soon. Migrants on Air is a Fuerte Network production. To stay up to date with new episodes this season and all the work done by the Fuerte Arts Movement, make sure to follow and subscribe to Fuerte AZ on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And most importantly, log on to Fuerte.org and sign up for the email list. Hey everyone, welcome back to Migrants on Air, an immigration podcast. Super excited to be back. It's been around a couple of months, but we're back with a brand new season. Karina, ¿cómo estás? Hola, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be back here. I think our last episode was during the election season, so it's definitely been a while. How are you? Bien, bien, you know, aquí echándole ganas, eh, poniéndome las pilas. And I know a lot of stuff has happened since since the last episode. Election cycle, a lot of immigration stuff. So super excited to get into it this season. Yes, as we mentioned, you know, we are back with happy news that Prop 308 ended up passing. So institution for undocumented students in Arizona, as well as having access to state aid is now available. And just a couple of days ago, Pima Community College released their statement on Prop 308. So officially, now all of the colleges and universities in Arizona have granted folks institution. So it took a while. It took them a couple of months to put everything into place, but things are coming together now. But yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about our new podcast schedule? And also, some of y'all might notice that Danny's not here with us. Do you want to share with our audience? <laughs> yeah, claro. Uh, so as for a schedule, we're going to be posting episodes every last Monday of every month. And in terms of who's going to be on the podcast regularly, it'll usually be me and Karina, obviously like our, our guest for, for the episode. I believe Danny will join sometimes uh, whenever he can or whenever he... He would like to and we're always welcoming him back as for people who will be on the podcast regularly it'll just be uh, me and karina yes so i can just kind of jump into the topic for today it's our first episode of the year and we're very excited that we're going to be talking to one of our friends um and the topic is basically about how the age when we migrate to the united states shapes our undocumented experience so a lot of the times when we talk about undocumented youth coming to to um, the United States, we talk about childhood arrivals, but we don't really talk enough about like teenage or young adult arrivals and how their experiences are different because of the age that they came to the country. And just to give you all a quick statistic, 
there are 2.5 million undocumented youth and young adults in the United States, uh, and they make up 23% of the overall undocumented population. So this is a big number, and there's definitely a lot of different stories and a lot of different experiences. That's why we want to talk to our guest, Brenda Heredia, about her experience, and yeah, we just want to learn from her. Uh, so welcome, Brenda. How are you? Hi, friends. Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. How are you guys? Bien, Brenda, I'm so excited to have you on. Personally, <laughs> this is actually the first time we've met face-to-face. -face. I think we're actually friends from, from Twitter yeah. <laughs> and Instagram, so I'm super, super excited. I know a little bit about your story and a little bit about what you do and your experience, but super interested to hear about your experiences and who you are. So would you be able to like introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Yes, of course. Thank you, friends, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. When when you guys posted about it on Twitter, I was like, I want to be there. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> as you were mentioning, my name is Brenda. My pronouns are she, her, ella. And I am from Mexico City. I was born there and I came to the U.S. in 2014. I was 15 when I came, so my experience has been a little bit different. But I'm still grateful for the friendships and the people that I've met. A little bit more about me. I live in California. I came with my parents. I went to school here. I started going to school as a sophomore in high school, even though I was supposed to be a sophomore. But I was taken back because I didn't speak English. So that's how kind of like it started, like the whole situation, the, the whole like journey. It was a little hard at the beginning. Well, it was still hard. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, it's it's nice now. No, it's still hard. But it was definitely a big experience. And I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> Brenda, uh, I'm a little curious. I know um, a, a lot of the people that I know personally, uh, they migrated when they were really young. So they don't have a lot of memories of where they're from or even like me, like, I feel like sometimes me invento las cosas, right? Like, I I don't really know if it was me, like, making shit up. Or <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I actually lived that, like, for me, a lot of my memories are kind of like a dream and they're a little blurry. How do you remember your home city and your your time in Mexico City? Do you remember it very well or do you, is it a little blurry? Um, would you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. So I lived there for 15 years. So most of my childhood, I spent it over there. I I went to school over there up to uh, prepa, which is 10th grade. Yeah, I finished, I completed my 10th grade over there. Um, So I did one year of prepa. And yeah, my memories, they're still very livid. But sometimes they do feel like a dream. Like I've started to notice that sometimes like I, I kind of forget things too, which is really hurtful because like that's what I am from, you know. And uh, I still have friends over there. I, I have two specific friends that I, I don't talk to them on a daily basis. But like if I text them, they will reply and we know what's going on in each other's lives. But basically, that's what kind of like holds me back because there's a lot of things that I'm like, whoa, like if it wasn't for those people, if it wasn't for pictures, if it wasn't for like paperwork from like school or things like that. It will be kind of a uh, like wow did I did I actually live over there because if it just feels weird now I've been in the U.S. for almost nine years and little by little I feel like a little disconnected and I do want to like acknowledge that like I'm privileged to know what I'm what where I come from I know my roots I I know family in Mexico like I know my friends from over there like I know the Mexican culture and like where I'm from. But I feel like that also comes with like the whole missing it and not being able to go back and not be even not being able to see my friends again or my family or like feeling like this emptiness inside. And just for 
for everyone to know, Brenda. Um, how old are you right now? I'm 24. Okay. So I guess sharing a little bit about my experience. Um, like when I came to the U.S., I was eight. So I feel like with the people that I've known, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, you know, I still remember some things, but, you know, I was still like a child. I started third grade here. So in my experience, like coming to the U.S., I didn't know what it was like to like be undocumented or like what that meant. I didn't have like, you know, that knowledge of what life would be like here. So my question for you is like when you were in Mexico and when like your family decided to migrate, did you have like an idea of what it would mean to be undocumented or like what your your life here would be like? No, I didn't. Uh, my brother, he came when I was seven and I didn't see him again until I was 15. And he he was with someone at that point and he had kids and they convinced my parents. Oh, just a little backstory. Back in 2012, I my parents and I, they we tried to come to the U.S. We were going to cross the border, but we, we couldn't. So we just gave up and we went back to Mexico City. And then my parents were like, no, we're not like doing we're not doing it anymore. And then my friend, my brother's um, wife, she kind of talked to my parents and she convinced them to try again. And uh, we did, we applied uh, for a visa and we got accepted and we just came and overstayed, right? But I, I didn't know anything about being undocumented. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Over there, like, there is this misconception that everyone who's in the U.S. is rich or like everyone talks about the American dream. Like nobody really like says the struggles of it or like how difficult it is, like going to school and like not being able to work after or like things like, like they, they don't tell you that. So me and my parents, we were like full of hope uh, when we came and we, we just didn't know how hard it was going to be. And actually my parents wanted to go back like a couple weeks in, like they they just wanted, they, my mom didn't like it and she wanted to go back. Our situation in Mexico was a little bit hard, like economically speaking. So I knew that if we were, if we, if we went back, I wasn't going to be able to go to school and I didn't, I really wanted to go to school and learn English. Like I was really hopeful. And I told my parents, like, can we stay? Like, I want to, I want to give it a shot here. So we kind of actually stayed because of me, because I told them to. <laughs> so it's my fault. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so I started going to school and back in high school, I didn't really like talk about it with anyone. Like it wasn't really like a topic. Because, you know, like we were kids, I made some friends, but I did notice that I became a little bit shy. Uh, back in Mexico, I was really social. Like it was easy for me to just make friends. And then I came and I shut down. Like I wouldn't talk to anyone. Um, it was really hard, even though people like knew Spanish, because again, I didn't speak English. Um, I was still not comfortable talking to anyone. I, I kind of just shut down. It was really hard kind of like getting out of my shell and trying to like learn English and kind of like accommodate to the country and the whole like system and and um, like learning everything by myself pretty much because my parents didn't get to go to school in Mexico and like they were also like here and like we were all new so I kind of had to figure out everything by myself from high school like even applying to college that was another situation because like again like I didn't know like what's what's um here in California there is the CDA which is California California Dream Act which it's financial aid for school for undocumented students but I didn't know that and so I had to like 
ask questions and and it was really hard but uh going back i'm sorry i kind of like went on a tangent but going back to like the main question no i didn't know what it was to be undocumented until i went to, to college and it was my second year when i started i started getting involved with undocumented community on campus and that's when it hit me that like i don't have that guy i couldn't work after school so i just got depressed and i i was going through it like my whole three four five years of, of college Linda, I thought it was super interesting, and I think for a lot of people who might get when they're younger, and I don't, I don't mean to say this like in any specific type of way, but I think our parents usually have us help them understand the systems of of the country. Since you know, when you come to the U.S. like really young, you grow up with the, in these systems, and you kind of understand it more than your parents. As someone who migrated as a teenager, you know, and who was learning those systems along with their parents, how did your family navigate like the legal system, but also like the education system? since you were learning along with them how did you all navigate that yeah it was really challenging because I remember my 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 parents well it was mostly my dad like we were three months in and he was already asking me to translate things for him and I was like I don't know English how do I translate for that uh, how do how do I translate that for you and my mom she was a little bit more understanding and they kind of like stopped like pressuring me so much into like translating things for them because I myself didn't know English but it was it was hard. Like I don't even I don't even know. Like back in high school, I had a counselor, and when I told her that I was undocumented and, and that I didn't know how to like apply to college, she just told me that I couldn't. She was like, "Oh no, you can't go to college." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And I remember there were other two other students who were also undocumented, and it was like kind of like the three of us kind of like asking questions and like to each other, and we just were trying to figure out what to do. And I went to a different counselor and I told her and she was like, what? Yeah, you can go to college. And she was kind of the one guiding me through the whole process of applying. And she was like, she was like the college person, like the college liaison between the high school and like and like colleges. So every time mm-hmm. she would get a scholarship that didn't require a social security number, she would save it for me before she would share it with everyone else. So I'm really thankful for her. She kind of like told me everything about applying to college and like scholarships and and uh, even when I didn't know what something meant and she didn't also like she also didn't know because she was she's she isn't undocumented but she will like call people and she will just ask and just figure it out for me so I'm really appreciative of her because of her I, I was able to go to college as for my parents they were just kind of learning with me like I would just kind of explain to them how it was but a lot of times they're just like oh okay like they don't really like question me a lot because I, I was still kind of making it <laughs> so mm-hmm. they they wouldn't really like pressure me into explaining everything but every time I could I will I would kind of like tell them like oh it's because you have to apply to like this scholarship before I can go to school um or I can I have to like talk to this person before like I have to I, ca- I can apply to this scholarship like, it was just a whole process that um, we were all learning at the same time and also for my family members like my tios and primos and all the all of them nobody went to college so I didn't really have anyone like absolutely anyone guiding me through it so it was hard it was hard I, I, I was just relying of uh, school I was just relying on school resources and uh, friends I think like this is kind of off topic but it's crazy how even like within states well, it's not crazy. It makes sense. But like within states, experiences are so different and so similar at the same time. Like when you mentioned that your counselor told you that you couldn't go to college, like I had that same experience. But I think a lot of us undocumented folks in Arizona have the perception that like California, like 
educators mm -hmm. must know everything because there's so many resources for undocumented students over there. Like we just got in state tuition a couple of months ago. Like this is the first semester that it's happening. So yeah, it's just insane that like people would tell you that when we perceive California as like this no, great state for undocumented stu students and like just people in general. Yeah, I, I do think there is more people here who know about the undocumented experience. Even like my school, uh, my my university uh, has an undocumented student center. And that's basically the reason why I decided to go there. And I do, I do think that people are aware. There's just a lot of like, there is a lack of education when it comes to the undocumented experience. A lot of people use the wrong terms, like they confuse financial aid with DACA. And it's like, uh, like at least do a little training or something, you know? This is the word Dream Act, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I even in Arizona, I think you see that too. And it's just, it's just a little shocking how, how much of a difference a good counselor like will make in your life. Because I've heard stories of, of people being told, "No, you can't go to college." So wow. they don't because no one ever pushed them to do so. And then you have good counselors who push you. And then you actually do end up going with with good resources because they were informed. But it's just a big disparity, you know. And I think depending on like your school district, like your high school district, it really changes your ability to to continue your education when it should be like standardized. Like you know, like everyone should should be able to have all those resources. But I, I did want to pivot a little because earlier you said something that really interested me, and I think I wanted to talk about like the idea of longing, especially longing for for home. Um, and I think all three of us kind of long for home a little differently because we did come at different ages. How do you manage that longing? Like, for example, like if you ever miss home, like, are there things that you do to remind yourself of where you're from? And I just think there's a really big beauty in like being able to kind of hold that longing and, and do something with it. So is there things that you do like for yourself to remind you of where you're from? Yes, lately, whenever whenever I'm bored, I go on Google Maps and I just go to my house or like I go to my school. There is like one specific location where you can see my grandpa. So I just go there. I look at him and as for my house, I like to go. And the Google Maps has this like tool that you can select the date or like the year that you want to like see. So I usually do like my the year that I was there and then like I can like change and see how like my house has changed because like we sold it and somebody like turned it into like a whole building. So it's just crazy yeah. to see that. Like, yeah, I, I get a little emotional when I look at it, but I, I recently found my dog like walking there. <laughs> so I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I do just recently, like I would say like two years ago, I was able to get my tia to ship pictures or like photos that we have. So oh. I just look at them. I was literally looking looking at them like three days ago. Because if it wasn't for those little things, I just it was I just I would just feel really empty. I feel like those little things kind of help me remember and kind of fulfill that that emptiness a little bit. Um, I sometimes call my friends from over there. I kind of like check up on them and we catch we catch up with each other. Um, I look at their Instagram post and like they gather from college and I just like send them a little message. And it's, it's just like a little reminder or like a little form to fill in that emptiness. Um, I love that. And I think oh, I wish I was with you guys like in person. I could cry. Um, <laughs> but uh, Karina, do you, do you do anything like that? Honestly, I don't think so. I think I have, well, I haven't done it in a while, but I also have done the thing of like checking Google Maps in school and my house because those are the only two places that I vividly remember. 
So I would like drop the little like icon to go on like the street view and go from my house, no, from school to my house. Cause I remember like when we would take the bus, it was just straight. So I just go on Google Maps and like go on the street view straight and try to see if I can get there. But yeah, I think those are the only two places that like I vividly remember. Anything other than that is like super blurry. But I don't know, it makes me sad. <laughs> so I don't think I I really do it often. Also, same as when that uh, a couple of years ago, family like sent some pictures, some like photo albums and yeah, I looked through them, but also at the same time, it just feels so distant. And kind of what you're saying, Carlos, is like, damn, like, was that even me? Like, who is that? So I think, yeah, I don't, I don't try to do it often because it just like makes me sad. What about you? You know, I, when you guys, when Brenda said about Google Maps, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I've never tried. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, like music, I use music. Um, I'm like, you know what? It's all around me. Like. I can't cross the border, you know, I can't do all of these things and I can't go back home. But, you know, um, I can put in my like earphones and I can listen to music and I can pretend and I can like dance. So I think for me, dancing is a really big part of reminding me of, of where I'm from. Um, not when I'm dancing reggaeton, because, you know, like <laughs> reggaeton, regga reggaeton is an Norteño thing, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like um when i put like norteñas on i'm like wow like i can imagine like me being with family listening to this and it mm -hmm. helps me feel more like i'm at home is there a particular song that triggers memories oh. i'm only saying yeah. this because navidad sin ti by marco antonio solis triggers oh me so bad i cry so never put that song around me because i will start crying <laughs> my, my grandpa was like a mariachi singer and he used to play like the guitar and stuff and i have memories of him like singing and he was a good singer i'm like where did those jeans go <laughs> <laughs> i think that there's like these mariachi songs that he would put on and i have like a youtube playlist i don't remember like the music but or the names but i usually put that on um and listen to like mariachi music because some of the guys like voices sound like my grandpa's and i don't know the deepness to their voices it just reminds me of him and then because it reminds me of him, like my grandparents remind me of home. Um, and that's usually how I make the connection. That's nice. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's kind of the same. Well, similar. I feel like I went through different phases of music. So whenever I listen to a specific song, it takes me to that phase. And then it takes me to, to like when I was that age mm. and when I was Mexico. Like I remember I had my little emo, emo face. And I would oh listen God. to it. Yeah, I would listen to like like heavy metal, and I still like those songs. So whenever I listen to them, like I just remind, like I just think of me going to school and like listening to my music with my headphones and feeling like I was super cool. So <laughs> yeah, I felt that. <laughs> That's super interesting. I feel like every every Mexican has had like a rock phase or yeah. a heavy metal phase. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's super beautiful. I did want to go back to like how we were talking about earlier that we met on Twitter uh, because I think that's an important point of conversation, especially like building community, right? With other undocumented people. I'm not sure, Brenda, what your experience has been meeting other undocumented people in person, but I think for me, online has, has been a really big source of a lot of my undocumented friends or undocumented people that I talk to. 
like on a weekly basis. So I guess my next question is, do you develop community? Do you use technology to develop, develop community or in person? What, how, how do you develop community? Yeah, same thing. Twitter literally, literally changed my experience in being undocumented. So when I came to yes, basically, as I was mentioned before in high school, we didn't really talk about it with like our friends or like we just didn't. It wasn't a thing, you know. And then I started going to college and my first year of college, I was feeling really like lonely, but I didn't really want to like get involved. So I, I just didn't. But then my second year, I realized or I noticed that there was a student org for undocumented students. And I was like, hold on, let me join. And I joined and I developed really like good friends. The only thing though was that I was the only one fully undocumented. So my experience was always like feeling a little left out or like a little lonely because everyone will be like, we'll have DACA. So I felt like I was by myself basically. So I always felt like at the very end of the spectrum, I felt like I, I had nothing. So I couldn't relate to a lot of the conversations. And then I think it was 2019 or 2020. I don't know, Karina, you remember when the group chat was made? But uh, basically, I was mm-hmm. on, okay. I was on Twitter, right? One, one, one time, and uh, one of my friends from school retweeted something from Jax from Padelitos Apparel, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Wait, I relate to this," and I follow Jax, and then I started kind of like getting um a lot of um documented people tweets and I was like hold on I kind of like this and then somebody posted a tweet saying that they wanted to make a group chat with people without DACA and I was like wait that's so cool so I, I signed up right and then we created a group chat with like 20 25 people and that's when I met Karina and we became friends we still have the group chat we talk sometimes and little by little I kind of like started meeting a lot of people on Twitter and it was just such a like beautiful experience because like I was like wait I'm no I'm not alone I I have people who relate to me and my experience and yeah I started like develop developing really nice friendships uh some of them I I got to meet them in person I have one of my best friends who I met through Twitter and she's she's literally like my my twin (laughs) like we just feel so connected and it's just nice kind of having that support without really planning it you know it kind of just happened and I'm glad you guys have the same experience when it comes to like online friends because it it does sound a little weird but it's 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 crazy how you can develop like such a powerful support system online no I understand I think my parents have sometimes asked like oh como la conoces and I'll be like (laughs) twitter (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah same but it's shocking how they're from school (laughs) (laughs) but no it's shocking the connections like that i think we've all made online and like how important those connections are because you know they're on our phone at first but then a lot of them do become like tangible Mm in-person connections and i don't know i just think it's beautiful that you know we're in different states and we're all like talking right now on our shared experiences and i think a lot of that is reproduced like in twitter in those group chats and I don't know, I just think it's really beautiful. Yeah, it is. I completely agree. It's just a really nice experience, like not feeling alone, you know, because I feel like for different states where being undocumented is more of a stigma, those people also feel like they have community, even if if it's online. Like it doesn't feel like it's online. Mm -hmm. You literally feel supported. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, and then I think I had a very similar experience with that group chat where, um, we have talked about that Carlos and I used to be in a club uh, at ASU. And the first year that I joined, I was also the only person in the club without DACA. So it did always feel a little bit like, 
you know, maybe not necessarily left out, but there is a difference that you notice. And then that group chat was the first time that I was able to meet other undocumented people without DACA that were going to college. I remember a person who retweeted that tweet of getting added to the group chat with somebody from Colorado. And they were like, oh, um, you know, I'm undocumented and I'm going to college here. And I, I just remember that so vividly because it was the first time that I felt like I found someone who was in the same situation as me. And yeah, it's just, it's been so nice to like know that somebody's there that you can just send a message about something and like they'll know what to say or like they'll have a similar experience. But yes, I love making internet friends. My first experience was as a One Direction stan on Twitter. No, not on Twitter. It was actually <laughs> on Facebook. It was a Facebook group. <laughs> but it's been so nice to just have people there. And I think like in the past, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be on Twitter, but it's become such a big part of like my identity as an undocumented person that like I can't imagine like leaving it. No, I think I, I completely understand that. I think for for a lot of things, Twitter is my new source too, because I get to hear things from other undocumented people like firsthand versus like oh going on CNN, like usually like when there's a policy announcement or a so people are talking about different things happening like on a national scale. I think that's where I hear about it first because there's people that I trust that talk about those things on that platform. Whereas like if if I go to like a news source, like no les tengo tanta confianza versus like someone who's living it on the ground. And I think that's why I appreciate the platform too. So like when when they were talking about like shutting down Twitter, I was like, Oh my friends. <laughs> well, you were like, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I, I tweeted, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's such a big platform. Well, back when I was in Mexico, I feel like the main platform for Mexicans is Facebook. <laughs> so when I came, that was another like cultural shock that nobody here like used Facebook. They were like, oh, that's for old people. And I was like, well, all my friends are there. Like, how? Yeah, it's, it's such a funny experience because even like my friends from Mexico, I still talk to them through Facebook. So <laughs> actually, Brenda, like now, now you get on that subject, were there a lot of things where you felt a big like sense of culture shock when, when you first like migrated and or even now you know uh yeah there, i yeah i feel like every every day i find well not every day anymore but like when i came there were like little things i was like why like i feel like one a big one uh it's not really a cultural shock it's just i, I find it a little funny you know pan el pan, pan dulce like they call it here pan dulce mm. we call it pan de dulce like oh, there's a day in the middle yeah so that was like one thing that was like why why pandulce like where's the day <laughs> you know another thing i think this is more specific to mexico city and people joke around joke about this a lot uh but in mexico like in mexico city we uh quesadillas you have to ask for the cheese so whenever like i want a quesadilla i have to say like una quesadilla de queso over there but people make fun of me here because they're like oh no like I guess it comes with the cheese. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so that's another thing. Another big one, though. In Mexico, um, tamales are not seasonal. Like, they're just everywhere. Like, you can eat them all. I, I used to eat them every day at school. And there is this thing. It's called guajolota, which is basically a tamal inside of a bolillo or like a pan. And mm. uh, yeah, amazing, amazing. I, I love her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I will eat that every day. And then I came, I come here and no tamales until Christmas. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, that was another thing that I was like, what? Why? Where are the tamales? You know, let me think. Um, the whole Facebook situation. 
let me see hold on there, there's just like specific words as well like parquear instead of estacionar okay. what is uh mapear instead of trapear like there's oh yeah like there's a lot of uh like little things that i didn't know what they meant and like my tios my cousins they had to kind of like explain them to us because my parents were also like what is that you know so like they had to like teach us like all of those little things that we just didn't understand because we we were new i remember the first time we came uh we went to the supermarket me and my parents and we were like what like this is so crazy and also i think it was because i was used to pesos but i felt like everything was so cheap like because over there like i will see like 50 pesos right 50 pesos yeah. and then i come here and everything is like four dollars so i'll be like that's so cheap but no <laughs> let's do it <laughs> yeah yeah because in my mind i was i was like thinking four pesos because mm -hmm. it was just like the number like how i would i would i was used to seeing like bigger numbers so when i came here i felt like everything was so cheap and then <laughs> It's not, but I feel like if I go back, it will be like the opposite. I will feel like everything is so expensive just because I'm used to seeing like smaller, smaller numbers now. So what you said, what you said about like the language and food and like the different, the different things that you saw over here, I think it reminds me, like, I feel like a lot of people think that, you know, Mexico is a monolith, but even between like our three regions, like we're all from different regions of Mexico. We all have different mm -hmm. words for things. We all have different foods, but when you migrate to the U S like, you know, you, become neighbors with people from from different like regions even within the same country and like it just kind of becomes a blend because everyone says things differently or pe everyone eats different foods like like I didn't have that until I was like 14 15 because that's not something that my family in my area eats like regularly but I was like oh that's so cool like, <laughs> like that, that's such a cool food so that's super interesting like did you have anything where you met like other Mexican friends and they said like they had different traditions than the things that you had established with your family back home? What what do you mean like different things or the same things? Uh kind of like differences and I guess the same things too. Yeah, yeah, I did when when I was in high school because I was a part of the um English as a second language program. Most of my friends were immigrants and most of them like were from Mexico. So yeah, there was like similar things and they were like different things i met some friends from like el salvador colombia like other countries and it was just like a wow you do that you do this no i do it like this oh you how do you say this like it was just a whole like cultural learning experience even though we were all here <laughs> actually really quick how do you say straw Popote. okay <laughs> <laughs> okay cool that's a big debate and and i think yeah. a lot of people say it differently okay yeah I say too. Just how do you say so, so. um how do you say esquites though? I feel like that. That's different. Like elote en vaso. En vaso. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I say esquites. The face yeah, yeah. palm that she just did. I know she, she said, <laughs> yeah. As long, like, uh, as long as you don't say spot water, uh, we're okay. <laughs> Wait, okay. A flat. What was it? A flat taco. The new, the newest one for tostadas. Oh my god, a flat taco. Or the, the spa water. <laughs> I've never heard that. Oh my god. <laughs> it was a joke on TikTok. Well, it wasn't a joke. Like somebody on TikTok was calling Aguas Frescas um spa water. So you oh can my god. yeah. <laughs> I love hibiscus water. <laughs> I did not know hibiscus was Jamaica until a couple of years ago. Yeah, me neither. I was like Starbucks serving Jamaica. <laughs> 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 so I'm sorry, guys. I, I interrupted you. My apologies. No, no, no. no you're you good. good. I was gonna say that I've also never had a 
tamal as a torta. So we're going to have to link up in California and try them out. Yes. But I was, I will admit, I was one of the people that made fun of Brenda for the quesadillas. Yeah, it became a whole thing, yeah. <laughs> are, are there different things that you can order? Like, cuando dices, quiero una quesadilla, like, puedes decir quesadilla de carne o algo así? O, o como... Yeah, so some of the, like, things that you can order for a quesadilla could be like una quesadilla de pollo, una quesadilla de champiñones, una quesadilla de flor de calabaza, de huitlacoche, like you just have to say the que, you know? Because and mm -hmm. usually like over there if you say like una quesadilla de queso, I mean una quesadilla de pollo, they're not going to give you cheese unless you ask for it. Más pollo. Yeah, uh -huh. and if if you if you do want cheese with it, they're going to charge you more. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. So it was a whole, yeah, it was a whole thing. <laughs> oh my God, culture is so interesting. I think um, growing up, a lot of um, the migrants in, in my school district, like my friends, they were from Alefe. So I think I got exposed to a little more like food than I guess like other like Norteños or people from like different like regions. And it's definitely like, I, I think the culture is a little bit different. And I just think it's like really pretty and beautiful how like different regions have like different traditions and different foods but yeah we're gonna come through and we're gonna try those like tortas de tamal <laughs> yes yeah, another another one uh, that i i've noticed that no one from mexico does this is um arroz con platano like i grew up eating that and when i tell people they're like what arroz con platano like how how is the flavor combination but it, it's good i like it. i still eat it <laughs> i've tried that one nice. <laughs> i have not tried it <laughs> Well, you should. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're going to have a list of all the foods that we have to try. Yes. <laughs> but I think we're hitting, like, the 40-minute mark. So is there anything else that you would like to add, Brenda, about, like, your experience or just plugging in your business, maybe? Oh. <laughs> we talk about, let's talk about the business. So yeah, I, I do have a small business. It's called Querencia. I make candles. And originally, I didn't, I, I never thought I was going to have a business because, you know, like, it, it just wasn't in my plans. But um, given the circumstances, not having that kind of being able to like be employed by someone who, or like, I can't really use my degrees. So I did decide to start a business and I really like it. It's been really fun. I've, I've started it back in 2020 and uh, it's been growing little by little, but it's growing. I make handmade candles. Uh, they're made out of soy wax and uh, I add like little decorations that are also made out of wax. And it's just fun. That's like my main thing right now. I was making candles all day, all day today because <laughs> I have two flea markets this weekend. So I'm stressed. But it's really fun if you if you guys want to check it out. Um, It's spelled a little bit like weird, uh, but I can spell it. So it's Q-U-H-E-R-E-N-C-A. So yeah, Thank check it you. out. We'll definitely link it in the episode description. We'll link to your Instagram and your website um but thank you so much for being here and for talking to us we had a great time and yeah, this is our first episode of the season so we're so happy that it was with you 
Oh, thank you for having me. I feel really happy because I have never like been asked this kind of questions. It's mostly like about like not having DACA. That's like my main or like how to have your business. That's usually like my two topics mm -hmm. that I talk about the most. But it's really nice kind of sharing this experience of like coming at a, a, at a little like a little bit older and being aware of what was going on and, and kind of making decisions for myself because I did feel like I had to grow up when I came like I was 15 but I like after being 15 I was like 30 so like I did feel like I had to grow up and it's just being like it, it feels nice like having this space to share these things and kind of uh relating like in different ways but still relating with each other I think that's beautiful <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much, Brenda. I think these are all questions that have always been floating on my mind. And I think, I don't know, I'm just super excited that we got to talk to you and get to learn about your experience. Y ojalá, you know, nos conocemos pronto. Hey. Uh, pero, pero muchas gracias, muy agradecido. Yeah, gracias a ustedes. <laughs> we'll be back next month. Remember that we'll be releasing new episodes the last Monday of every single month. So thank you everyone for joining. Uh, Migrants on Air is a Fuerte Network production. I would like to formally thank everyone involved in this episode. Our hosts, uh, myself and Karina Dominguez. Thank you so much to our guest, Brenda Heredia. Graphics by Karina Dominguez. Our theme song is Crazy Like That by Lo-Fi. Editing is done by Dani Orana. If you all would like, you can follow us on Spotify for this and all other Fuerte Fuerte content. So make sure to log on to Fuerte.org and sign up for our mailing list as well. Mil gracias, everyone, y hasta la próxima.